want to turn this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, we want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and you can turn there, and then you can flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, because we're going to quickly go to chapter 16. So beginning in, in 1 Corinthians 13, I want to grab a verse here, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. The Apostle Paul uh, makes a, a, a very stark distinction between two different forms of existence. And you'll get what I'm talking about when we read the verse. In verse number 11, the Apostle Paul said, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For a person that has been born as a male, God has called you to fulfill a very specific role. Paul says that there are two types of existence for a male. He says, when I was a child, that there was a totally different realm for me as a child. When I was a child, I thought of a child, I acted as a child, I behaved as a child, I understood as a child, my understanding was childish, my thought process was childish, the way I behaved myself was childish, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. There is a line of distinction. There is a there is a difference between a child and a man. There is a point in a person's life when they move from childhood into manhood. There is a, a definite distinction of a man. There are certain characteristics that make a man a man. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I want to ask a question. What is a man? What is manhood? And, and how important is that to us today? What does it mean to be a man? Now for young men, I'm speaking directly to you this morning, as though you may not come in, have come into manhood, uh, you're going to come into that eventually. So this is something that you are to aspire to. This is going to be the goal. This is what you're looking to become. As you grow older, I hope that every single young boy under the sound of my voice this morning, I hope that Gideon here and Levi here and, and my other two boys, Asher and Jude, I hope that, that one day that they grow out of childhood and that they, they become a man and that they become a man in the very essence of the term. As, they, as, as a real, living, breathing man and not just what the world wants them to be. Now for young ladies, I, I talk directly to you. This is, this is not a time for you to check out. Uh, those that may be listening under the sound of my voice, McKaylee and Emmy, uh, those young ladies here, this is not a time for you to just stop listening and just say, well, he's talking to the boys this morning, so we don't... We don't have anything to listen to. No. Young ladies, I want you to understand that a man is who you're going to marry one day. When you find a mate that you don't want to marry a boy, you want to marry a man. 
So if you're going to marry a man, you need to know what a man is. We all need to know what men are. For those that are aged this morning, those that have gotten up in years, you could have the attitude this morning that I know what a man is, so I'm just going to check out. Well, that's not the attitude to have. We need to understand what a man is by true definition because if you gauge yourself, as we're going to see in a minute, by the world's definition of what a man is, as you get older in life, you're going to begin to feel less and less like a man. If you're using the world's definition, you're going to feel less and less like a man. The women that have gotten older and have been married now, this is not a time for you to check out. This is a time for you to understand what a godly man is, what a real man is, what real manliness is, so that you can hold your significant other, your husband, to an appropriate standard. To be an encouragement to your spouse, to be a man. We are in an age where manhood is rare. Where it is something that is not seen very often. This is, this is an age of the softening of men, of the feminizing of men. Trying to soften the edges. And I believe the reason for that is that we don't really understand what it means to be a man. Let's contemplate for just a moment what the world presents as manly characteristics. When the world thinks of what is a man, what does a man's man look like? What are some defining characteristics that would make a man a man? When a young lady is looking for a spouse, she wants a man. And so she'll look for these characteristics. When a young boy is coming up, he looks at those that are out in the world that they consider to be men, and that's the characteristics that they look for, and that's the ones they aspire to. Well, what is... What is everybody looking for today? What are the characteristics that make a man a man according to the world? Well, I can tell you the first one is physical and athletic ability. As a young boy, when they look at a, at a man, they look at the NFL player that is on the ball field and he's running down and he hits those football players as hard as he can, that's a man's man. When they look at the ball players on the baseball field, the man that can run around the bases and can throw hard, that's a man's man. The man that can hit the gym and can bench press 350 pounds, that's a man's man. A man that is strong, a man that has a, a big beard maybe and, and bulging muscles and that can run fast and that can lift heavy things, that's the defining characteristic of manhood. When a young lady is looking for a spouse, she wants the man that is, it is uh, this built, the man that has a good physique because we've been told that that's what we should look for. Another view that men, uh, that, that is uh, touted today is what makes a man a man is a Casanova demeanor. If a, if a person, if a young boy is good with the ladies, if he's a smooth talker, if he can uh, make a woman feel good, if he can uh, whisper sweet nothings, if he, can, uh, if he has a, a, a lot of girlfriends, if he can move from one girl to the next, well, he's a man's man. He's the one that all the girls want to be with. He's the, he's the one, if he's getting all the ladies, he's the one that all the other boys want to be like because they want attention. 
you see. And so they tout him as a man's man. Another defining characteristic is success. We believe that success defines a man. We believe that if a man goes to college, that he gets a good job, that he can uh, make uh, $200,000, $300,000 a year, uh, that that is a man's man. That that's the man that everybody else wants to look up to. That's the man that everybody wants to aspire to. And, and whichever venue that is. And so we have, what we have today, we have a generation of young people that look at whether it be physical ability, relational ability, or financial or, or, or talents that would lend to financial success as the defining characteristics of manhood. And this view, this view that you have to look good, you have to be able to talk good, and you have to be able to do good and utter the father yourself has created a generation of wimps. That's to put it mildly and bluntly. We have deduced manhood. We have deduced man to be an emotionless, someone who bottles up his emotions, who never expresses himself. We have deduced a man to be an emotionless, violent, one that is bloodthirsty, a controlling person who is built well, can talk smooth, and makes good money. And because we have touted the idea that you have to look good and act good and, and talk good and be emotionless and violent and be prone to violence, it is no wonder that half of the men coming up in our day, half of the boys in our day, don't know whether they're boys or girls. We have created a false idea, and because we've created a false idea, we have boys that don't know whether they're boys or girls, and the other half are destroying everything, are ruining everything. It's a sad time. So what is a man? In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in verse 13, we have four calls to action. Four calls to action. He says in verse 13, he says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. These are four verbs which call us to an active posture. All of God's forms need to assure, but especially those that are men. He says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. That word quit you like men does not mean that you can stomp off and quit like a man because men don't quit. But what this means is to act like a man. That you are going to have the defining characteristics that make a man a man. And we're going to talk about what those are. He says, be strong. First off, the first activity that we are to do in this particular predicament, and this, this is particularly true 
in moments of hardship. Moments of hardship is the trial that will test the character of a man. There's a quote by Patrick Henry, and I can't, I can't quite get it, but you can look it up, where he basically says, it's, a, it's an excellent quote, that nothing else tests the measure of a man like adversity, and how true that is. This is especially true in times of adversity. In times of adversity, that's when you'll find the men showing forth themselves as men. First, he says, to watch ye. What does it mean to watch? It means to keep awake, to be alert, to give attention to. It is the idea of a watchman. He is looking for something. A godly man, a man that is is a, a, a man's man, if you will, a man that has defining characteristics of a man. One of the defining characteristics of a man is that a man is a man of observation. He has a keen awareness about him. He is, he is not oblivious to the world about him. He's not a person that sticks his head in the sand and, and is oblivious to what's going on around him. No, he's, a, he's an individual that in spite of what he may find, in spite of uh, the, uh, the nastiness of the world around him, is a man that is going to be aware. He's a man that's going to take a good look around him. He's a man that is going to dig deep. He's going to watch. He's going to keep awake, which means he's not going to be a lazy man. He's not going to be a man that's prone to, to laziness and to, to sleep. He says that a that a little folding of the hands and the soul shall come to poverty. Uh, he's not a man that is going to lead his household into poverty, but that he's going to be an individual that is, is awake. He's going to keep awake. He's going to be diligent to keep awake so that he can provide for his household. He's going to be a man that is observable because uh, he realizes that the... Uh, that the uh, that the devil walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Our households, our lives are always in a state of danger. They're always in a state of turmoil. So a man, a person that is coming into uh, maturity, is going to be an individual that is awake, that uh, observes the world around him, a, a person that is... Uh, looking for the things that, that may harm his family. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, Colossians 4 verse 2, he says, continue in prayer, get this, and watch in the same with thanksgiving. A man is a person who looks for something. An individual that is constantly on the lookout, he's, he's looking, he says, continue in prayer. A man is a man of prayer. A man that realizes that, that, uh, that God is, is the source of his substance. So he's going to continue. He's going to persevere in prayer. And he's going to watch. He's going to keep awake. He's going to look for the answer. He's going to look for the answer. That's one thing that a man is going to be aware of. He's going to be looking for. He's going to be diligently looking for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, another thing that a man, a person that is of spiritual maturity, is going to be looking for, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and in verse 1, 
He says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor the day. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. He says, because of the circumstances around us, we are not of them as who sleep, those who lazy, those who put their head in the sand. He's speaking here of the coming of the Lord. He says, we're not, we're not as that. He says, but we are those who are aware of our situation. We're aware of our current condition. And, and, and we keep awake and we put on the breastplate and we're ready to defend ourselves. And that's what he goes on there. And further on, he said, let us uh, who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. We're ready to face the trials ahead. He's a man that is prepared. He's a man that is watching for conflict. And he's a man that looks for the coming of the Lord. Back to our text. Watch ye. A man is not going to be oblivious to the world around him. He's not going to stick his head in the sand. He's going to look well into things. Then he says, stand fast in the faith. A man that is a man's man, a man that is going to have manly characteristics, is going to be an individual that has a demeanor of perseverance. Perseverance is not a dirty word. Persever I know some have in, in, in the past have tried to make the perseverance a dirty word, uh, but it's not. The word perseverance is a good word. And it is what we are all called to. The, the, when people corrupt that idea is when they take it to the religious extreme and say that all of God's children will ultimately and finally persevere as to f never finally fall away. And what they intend by that is to say that they will maintain a life of good works until the day that they die. But that's, as we see in Scripture, that there's uh, no evidence of that, that there's many of children of God that have fallen by the wayside and have made shipwreck of their faith and their life. But perseverance, make no mistake about it, is what we are called to. As Christians, and, in, and under the topic we are under consideration this morning, as a man. As a man, you are called to persevere. And what that means is, is to keep going, to hold the lines. You know, in ancient, ancient times, especially in, in Rome, and uh, even up until modern warfare, when they were at war with people, you would regularly hear the commander yelling out a command. Across the lines, he would say, hold the lines. Stick together. Don't let the lines break, because once the lines break, and if you quit continually, continuing to hold one another and to press forward, if your lines break and buckle, and if the enemy gets behind you, the battle's over. You've lost. But an army that is going to win is an army that is made up of men. 
An army that is not made up of boys who run at the first sign of trouble, but is made up of men who hold the line in the spite of all the adversity that they may face. They hold the line. They persevere. If they buckle and they fall in the line, they get back up. They remain unmovable and unshaken in their faith. They're not men that are tossed to and fro, compromising. They are uncompromising. That's another characteristic of a man. Is a man that is uncompromising. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, he says that we henceforth be no more children. Be no more children. Remember, Paul gave that distinction between a person that is a child. He says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spake as a child, I acted as a child, but when I became a man, I put away foolish things, childish things. He says, this is Paul's desire as, as for this church in a spiritual manner. He says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So children are either, they're, they're very gullible. They're not, they're not uh, firm on their beliefs. And when you can easily uh, manipulate a child's understanding. You can easily convince a child that, uh, uh, that, that the moon is blue. You can easily uh, convince a child that, that, that grasshoppers uh, fly into space. You name it. You can, you can easily manipulate a child and you can change their beliefs no matter how dead set they're on something. With just a word of mouth, you can take a child and change him from one to because he's, he's tossed to and fro. He flip-flops back and forth because he's a child. He has not yet come to the point of maturity to say, nope, this is truth and this is where I stand. This is what I believe and I'm not going to falter from that because I've, I've come into a point where I can make logical and rational decisions for myself. Paul says, and you be no more children. So man is someone that is not tossed to and fro. He's not easily manipulated. He's not easily gullible. He is, he's fast. He's firm in his beliefs. He knows what he believes. A man, a spiritual man, a godly man, knows what he believes and why he believes what he believes. You know, I think that we have, we have done ourselves great harm in, in the Christian denomination as a whole. Because when you look back at, at Christianity even two to three hundred years ago, and you begin to read the books that men and even some women had written, in years gone by, in the 16 and 1700s, it becomes very apparent very quickly that everybody knew what they believed and why they believed it. And they were able to give these long uh, discourses and, and, and write these long books on what they believed and why they believed. And, and as Christianity has progressed into our days, and if you read a book from our day compared to their day, you find that Christianity is really watered down and fickle. And, it, and it, you can see that even in their own minds that they're wrestling with certain things. But that is not the way it was back then. That's because 
That was the age of men. People were men, as far as their beliefs were concerned, they knew what they believed and why they believed it, and they were not easily manipulated. Back to our text. He says, we are to uh, watch, to be aware of our surroundings, to keep awake, to know uh, what's going on in the world around us, and then we are to stand fast in the faith that we're not to be tossed to and fro, uh, carried about. We're to hold the lines. We're to persevere if we fall and we falter in our race. We're not to stop. We're not to give up because men are people of determination. They're not easily swayed. They're not easily made uh, to run the other way, but they're going to hold out the line regardless of the pain, regardless of the circumstances. When they're called to do battle, they're going to stand their ground. They're not going to be easily deterred. But then he says that we are to act like a man. Quit yourselves like men. Act like a man. What does he mean by that? What are, the, what are some, some real good characteristics of spiritual manliness? For that, I want to turn, if you would, turn in your scriptures to the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I believe that the Apostle Paul gives some excellent definitions of what defines biblical manhood. Young ladies, these are the characteristics that you're going to look for in a mate. Young men, these are the characteristics that you're going to aspire to. This is what we want to become. This is what I want to become. It's a godly man. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Or verse 1, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Verse 6, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things shewing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine shewing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Paul gives a very good list of things here to define a man as a man. These are the characteristics, I believe, that bring men from being children into what we would consider real manhood. These are the defining characteristics that would make a man a man. It's very important that you understand this because it has nothing to do with how you look. And this is the point I wanted to make. The world views physical ability, physical appearance, as a defining characteristics of a man. Well, as you get older, as you grow older in age, what happens? You lose your physical ability. You lose your physical appearance. It begins to wane with age. And if that is the defining characteristics of a man then you lose your manliness 
as you get older, but that's not how it works. We're supposed to grow in our manhood. We're supposed to grow in the defining characteristics of being a man as we grow older. And as you reach the end of your life, you should be more of a man than you were as you were coming into adulthood, you see. So he says, so these are the characteristics. These are the real meat of what makes a man a man. He says that the aged man be sober. What does that mean to be sober? We oftentimes define sober as, as being uh, not partaking in alcohol, of, of not uh, being under the influence of alcoholic drink. But if you realize that the, the definition for sober uh, in older times, it means to be serious, to be sensible, to act in a way of wisdom or rational. And here's the point. Life isn't a game. For someone that has the characteristics of, of, men, uh, of a man, he's not going to take life lightly. He's not going to act as if life is a big joke, if, if life is simply uh, all fun and games, but he's going to look at the world around him. He's going to look at life as something to take serious. He's going to take his family life serious. He's going to take the job that he does from Monday to Friday seriously. He's not going to be the class clown. He's going to uh, he's not going to take, when the world's crashing around him, he's not going to laugh it off. He's not going to try to make light of situations, but he's going to look at every situation with an air of somberness. He's going to evaluate the world around him. He's going to take inventory. He's going to make all the necessary preparations because he's a man. Because men take life seriously. They take their marriages seriously. They take their role as a parent seriously. They take their role as an employee seriously. Not something just to make money, but they realize that this, all these roles, the role of husband, the role of father, the role of employee, all three of those roles are common to all men, and God has called you to each one of them. God has called you to be a husband. God has called you to be a father. God has called you to uh, be a, a workman. When God created Adam in the, in the garden, outside of the garden, in the wilderness, he placed him in the garden to keep it. And that was before the fall. Work was God's divine uh, goal for humanity, for man. Uh, that's what he designed him to do. Now, tr we, we realize that when the fall came, that, that work became a bad thing. It became a tolsome thing. But initially, God designed man to glorify him through the labor of his hands. So it's not a bad thing. God designed you for that. And so we glorify God by being a man, by being serious, by being sober in our marriage in, in, as a father and as an employee. He says that in uh, first, first Thessalonians chapter 5, again, back, we read this earlier in first, first Thessalonians chapter 5, and in verse uh, 6 he says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, as do others, but let us watch and what? And be sober, to be serious, to, to look well. And he says, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, 
and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Let us be serious about this, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Listen, life is a battle. Life is a battleground. Life is not fun and games. And men, as men, we should be sober. We should take it seriously. We're not going to turn there, but you could turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 8. And both of those verses talk about the child of God, the man of God, as sober. Let's look at the next characteristic in Titus. He says that we are to be sober and to be grave. So we're to be serious. We're to take life seriously. And we're, as men, as a defining characteristic of our manliness, we're to be grave. We're to be grave. And this word, grave, means honorable. It means honest. It means respectable. It means genuine. When I read the word grave, and I think of the characteristics of 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 a man. A man is someone that what you see is what you get. He's not a person that is that it has a dual life or a dual personality. He's not one way with one group of individuals and a and another way with another group of individuals. If someone is is that way, if someone acts that a certain way is, is acts holy and righteous among the Christian crowd, and then he goes to school, or he grows into the workforce, or he goes out there and he and he works vile and and uh, and repugnant and lives a life of uh, of sin in the world and around another group of people. That's dishonest. That person is not a, a man. He's he is pleasing the crowd, you see. And, and, and this is something that is, I, I see so much in adolescent life. Boys, I want you to understand that as you grow older, you're going to be prone to reconstruct who you are based upon the inclinations or what other people hold in high esteem. What I mean by that, boys, is as you grow older, when one crowd looks at the football player as the tough guy, as a man's man, you're going to try to fit that in order to fit in, in order to get them to like you. A man doesn't do things. He's not a person that does things to try to get the world around him to like him. He, he is comfortable with who he is because who he is is who he's called to be. He realizes that the calling on his life comes directly from the Lord, that he's called to be a man, and so he's going to fulfill those characteristics regardless of what the world thinks around him. He's going to be genuine. And because he realizes that God has called him to a certain level in life and to fulfill certain characteristics, he's going to be those characteristics around every crowd. He's not going to play to the crowd. He's not going to, he's not going to manipulate how he acts in order to please others, but he's going to be who he is. In, uh, in Colossians chapter 3, uh, Paul alludes to this when he says, uh, speaking to the servants, in chapter 3, in verse 22, 
He says, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. As you enter the workforce, if you're a, a child, if you're a boy, if you've come up trying to play to the crowd, that's going to transfer into your adult life. And how does that work out? Well, I've seen it so much in the workforce. When the boss is around, well, everybody's working hard. They're out there digging in the ground. When I worked on the farm, they'd be out there just going as hard as they could go, digging in the dirt. They would be planting as fast as they could go. But whenever the boss was around, the moment his truck pulled out of the field where everybody's headed to the shade tree to sit down for 30 minutes, that's not manliness. See, he, they, they, they've, uh, they've played to the level of expecta expectation that is required of them. And whenever that level of expectation is gone in their eyes, then they regress into who they really are, you see. But a man is going to realize that, that God has called him to be diligent, that God has called him to be honest, to give an honest day's work, to work as hard as he can, and regardless of whether the boss is around or not, he's going to be giving 150% of all of his energy and all of his intellect in order to accomplish the, the goal at hand because he realizes that that's what God has called him to. You understand that, Gideon? You're not going to be different if daddy's here or if daddy's not here because of what daddy expects. You understand? As you come into manhood... You're going to be honest. You're going to be genuine. Then he says the next characteristic is that of temperance. So a man is going to be serious. He's going to take life seriously. He's going to be genuine and honest regardless of who's around. And the next characteristic is he's going to be temperate. The word temperate means that a man is self-controlled. He is one who keeps his desires under his authority and subjection. As a child, you'll realize this if you raise children, but children are prone to allowing their emotions to dominate how they respond to situation. We take Asher somewhere and he doesn't get what he wants. His face turns bright red. He screams at the top of his lungs for about 10 minutes. And no matter what you do, he's going to be screaming and he's going to be crying. Why? Because he is, he is acting out of pure natural instinct and his emotions are controlling his physical response. And at this point, we don't expect him to bring them under control. See, I understand that as a child that they cannot fully control themselves. Now, as a parent, it is my job to help them learn to control it. And they don't like it when I try to help them learn to control being dominated by their emotions. And I didn't either as a child. When I was coming out as a child and my father tried to correct me and not allow me to be dominated by my emotions, I didn't like it. But a man is someone that is not dominated by his natural instinct or emotions. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul gives us an excellent example of this. He says in verse uh, 27, he says, But I keep my body 
under subject and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul says that I, I keep my body. The word keep there means to castle. It means to build a, 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 a castle around you, a hedge of protection around you in order, in order to uh, protect it. He says, I keep my body. And how do I guard my body? Well, I bring it into subjection. I make sure that I'm not being controlled by my base instinct. I'm not letting anger dominate how I I, uh, how I act, the Bible says, be angry. There are certain things in life that make us angry, and rightfully so. But sin not. What is he saying there? He's saying you have a right to be angry, but you don't have a right to let anger control you. You see, a, a man's man is not going to let others control him. I remember whenever I, I, as a child, when I was coming up, dad would always look at me and he would say, when somebody said something to me and I began to respond, he would look at me and he'd say, don't stoop to their level. And what he was telling me is don't let them control you. Don't let them dominate how you respond. And that's carried me a, lot, a, a long way in life because now as I grew older, I've now come to the point where I can handle certain negative instances where everything within me is screaming out, you need to take care of this, you need to punch this guy in the face, you need to show him who's boss, and I can, I can suppress those, those negative fleshly emotions by the grace of God, I might add, and that's the only way you can do it, by the grace of God, using the, the God-given uh, uh, God-given characteristic of temperance, I can suppress those emotions and I can respond in a way, in a different way than what I'm feeling on the inside. I can respond in a holy and a godly manner. So as we become men, we move from, from taking life flippantly and, 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 and making it a game into seriousness. We become grave and genuine we become honorable and honest in our in our in our in our conduct and we become temperate we become uh self-control and if you look around us today at the young crowd particularly the millennial age what do you see you see a group of people if you've watched any of the videos online about hot button topics you see a group of people that are out of control. You see a group of people that cannot control their anger. You see a group of young men that are just, they're just letting it flow. And it's so sad because we've told them that that's what men are, that men scream at the top of their lungs until everyone around them submits to them. That's not manhood. Men don't, don't stomp around the house and demand conformity. They take the initiative and they lead. They be the example and they give godly urging. There's a difference and that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing a bunch of young people demanding that we conform by screaming and yelling. And that's not manhood. 
Then he says, another characteristic, he says that they are sound in faith. That is someone, the word sound there means someone who is healthy or well in faith. Someone that is active in their faith. The characteristics, as we've already said, they stand fast in the faith. This is kind of in conjunction with that. Someone that is healthy in their faith. In other words, someone that has a, a, a man-man is going to have an active prayer life. He's going to be sound in his beliefs. He's going to know what he believes. He's going to know why he believes it. He's going to actively worship. He's going to be a man that pursues God with all of his heart, soul, and strength. So we won't dwell too long on that one. Sound in faith. And by the way, the word sound in the following is, is used in conjunction with the following three words. He's going to be sound in faith. He's going to be sound in charity. He's going to be sound in patience. Sound in faith, sound in charity, sound in patience. So a man, a man that has the characteristics of manliness is going to be an individual that is sound in charity. The word charity means that you are actively showing love to others. That you are to do good. That you are pursuing all things for their good. A man puts the needs of others before himself. A man puts the needs of others before himself. He's going to be the one that makes sure his family eats, even if he doesn't. He's going to be the person that makes make sure that his, his children and his wife have good clothes, even if he doesn't. He's going to be the one that makes sure his wife has a good vehicle to drive, even if he drives a jalopy. He's going to make sure that all those around him, whether they be people in his church, whether they be people in his workplace, he's going to be the person that makes sure that everyone else around him is better off than he, does, than he is. And that's why uh, in, in, in Ephesians that uh, Paul says that, that the man is to love himself as Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. Because Christ put the needs of, of others in, while he was in his human form above his own physical well-being. He submitted to the death of the cross. He put himself in a very compromising situation so that, that his children, the ones that he loved, would have what they stood in need of. I want you to think about that. That was a man. Jesus Christ is the ultimate man. We see that Jesus Christ was somber. He was serious. He was grave. He was, he was temperate. He, he, all the characteristics we're talking about this morning, Jesus Christ emulated to the hundredth degree. He was the perfection of manliness. And he was sound in charity. What is charity? If you want to know what charity is, we turn to, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he says, Charity suffereth long. That means it puts up with the, the afflictions of others, the negative characteristics of others that we don't like. We, we put up with them for a long time. And is kind. That means we're gentle with those uh, around us, that we're not hard, rough and hard. A man's not going to be stomping around the house and, and insensitive. You know, that... 
That's what's touted today. A lot of men think that in order to be men, they have to be insensitive. That's not manhood. You need to care what your, how your wife feels. You need to be kind. You need to be gentle. It says, charity envieth not. It's not, not jealous of those around them. There's, our lives are not to be uh, uh, dominated by our peers. We're not to be keeping up with the Joneses. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, is not prideful, is not putting himself above others. It does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not our own, is not easily provoked. There's temperance. Thinketh no evil. In other words, he thinks the best in others. He doesn't automatically assume evil intention. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. A man's not going to rejoice when evil triumphs, but rejoiceth in truth. A man beareth all things. Listen to this. Put the word bear man in front of this. A man bears all things, believes all things, hope, hopeth all things. He puts his confidence in God for the future. A man endures all things. Charity never faileth. We need men like this. Men of love, men of charity. He's sound in patience. The word patience there means endurance. Endurance. Perseverance. There's much more than that. This has to do with enduring pain. Enduring hardship. The world tells us a lie when it tells us that, that life is supposed to be free of any pain. Suffering is normal. Would you understand that, young boys? Suffering is normal. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Paul would say in another place that no temptation hath taken you, but such is as common to man. Listen, suffering is a normal part of life. Life since the Garden of Eden has been full of thorns and thistles, hardships and toils, by the sweat of our face do we make our living. Childbearing has been hard. <laughs> Child rearing has been hard. There's been plagues. There's been diseases. There's been famines. There's been pestilence. There's been war. Listen, we live in a broken world. And in order to make it in life, you have to be able to endure suffering. We're not to be whiners and complainers. You understand? We're to endure it patiently. Children whine and complain because it's hot outside. Because they're having to work in the heat. Children, and my children do this. My children complain when they're struggling with something. They easily give up. They easily throw in the towel and want to walk away. Why? Because they're children. But as you develop character, one of the characteristics that you should develop is patience, which means 
you endure the hardship because you realize that suffering is normal. There's no changing it. And so you trust God to get you through. You trust God for all your comfort and you trust God for all your hope. And so you, you live in the midst of the furnace and you wait it out till it's over, knowing that God is right there with you. He's going through there with you through the midst of the storm and he'll be there on the other side. We're to be patient. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Romans 12, 12. He tells us that we're to rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. When troubles come, our demeanor should be that of patience. So, so far, the characteristics of manhood, of being a man is serious. A man is serious. First, he's watchful. He's, he's a man that watches. He's aware of his surroundings, aware of what's going on around him. He doesn't stick his head in the sand and hide. He's a man that perseveres and keeps going even if he falters and falls. He's a man that gets back up and keeps trying. He's a man that's serious. He takes life seriously. He's a man that's, that's grave. He's genuine. He, he's not acting one way in one crowd and another way in another. He's self-controlled. He's sound in his faith. He's uh, sound in charity and love. He's sound in patience during hardship. Down in verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Another characteristic of godly manliness is to be sober-minded. Now this is different from sober. And I love this. The word sober-minded means, it means to be sane. Means to be sane. It means to be rational. It means to be logical. To, it, it means to not be prone to extremism. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 15, Mark 5 verse 15, you remember when Jesus came and healed the mad Gadarean? He's called the mad Gadarean because he was crazy. He was nutso. He was living in a graveyard. Gideon, he was living in a graveyard. They would try to tie him up. He would break the chains. He'd run around with no clothes on. He'd throw rocks at people. He was crazy. When Jesus healed him, it said that he was clothed and in his right mind. The word right mind there translated from the Greek is the same Greek word that we're given here, to be sober-minded. So the imagery of a man going from running around in the tombs, throwing rocks at people with no clothes on, to being clothed, sitting at the feet of Christ, is the image that we get of a sane man. He's not prone to extremism. Today, in our society, men, boys, are prone to extremism. We see it all around us. We see it in the rise of socialism as they're going to extremism in an economic structure. They're so prone to that. We're seeing uh, uh, extremism in sexuality. We're seeing extreme, you name it. 
every category that you can name right now in the world in which we live, what do we find? Extremism. Men are not easily swept away into following the crowd of extremism. Right now, and this is so irritating, you've got some people in the midst of this virus, and I'm going to speak to this issue because it's an issue that we're facing right now at present. You have an issue right now. We have, we have a great threat to this nation. It's something we should take seriously because right now and where I live, there's already been over 40 deaths, and this is serious, over 1,000 positive cases. But you have those that, that look at this virus, and you have those that are, are resulting to the extremism of staying in your house and don't even go outdoors to get groceries. Don't even go outside and play in your yard. Yes, I've seen the threads on Facebook. Oh my goodness, you're letting your kids outside play? That's ridiculous. That's extremism. Listen, we've got a life. We've got to go to work. We've got to do certain things. This is in order to keep things flowing. So there's that extremism. Those that say we should just completely uh, stay indoors. No, listen, there's, there's a fine line here. Listen, we need to use caution, extreme caution. I need to emphasize that, extreme caution. And then you've got those, and then you've got those who are like, it's just a conspiracy. It's just a conspiracy created by the government. I'm going to tell you right now, you're insane. That's not, that, that's, this is, that's extremism. That is a letting your emotions and your distrust, and yes, I don't trust the government either, but listen, this is a virus, okay? And it's spreading. And who cares who caused it or where it came from? That's not that's not the point. The point is people are really dying from this, and yes, we need to use caution. There's a fine line. Men are sane. They look at the information around them. They process the information around them, and they realize that there's two sides to each story, and one side has holes in it just as much as the other side. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to float the middle. I'm going to go down the road and not in the ditch because I've realized the truth. You see, I'm not prone to extremism. A man is sane. He's, he's not someone that's going to say, hey, we need to jump in the back of the truck and, 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 and get drunk and drive down a road. That's insane, okay? He's prone to being sane. Next, he says, uh, in all things, shewing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine. And notice there's a colon there, so that which precedes uh, defines what went before. The good works are in doctrine, shewing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. So those three defining characteristics are the pattern of good works that the man is to show forth. He says, in all things, shewing thyself a pattern of good works. What is a pattern? A pattern is something that is repetitious, something that is consistent. It's not something that he jumps up, he does this one time, and then he goes back to doing what he did. No, to have a pattern of good work, good works means that he has developed certain characteristics, doctrine, and uh, 
and, and, and gravity and sincerity and sound speech, these characteristics are a part of his life in a repetitious manner, you see. It's not just that he speaks good words one time and the rest is filled with filth, but rather that his life is consistently bearing sound speech. It is consistently showing uncorrupted doctrine. It is consistently showing an air of gravity. It is consistently showing sincerity. And these, again, are just restatements of what he told the aged men above. He's just worded a little different way. If you go back and research the words of uh, doctrine, uncorruptness, and gravity, and sincerity, you'll find it is pretty much the same, same uh, thing as, as we read above. He says, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Men are to be men of virtue, men of character, men that when people don't like you, they have a hard time finding something to charge you with, something to tell others negative about you. That should be the character of our men. So we should, we should uh, as a recap, we should be sober, sensible, serious. We should be honorable, honest, reputable. We should uh, be genuine, not one way uh, with a certain group, not another way with another. We should be self-controlled, temperate, keeping our emotions under our control, sound in faith, sound in charity, sound in patience. Uh, we know what we believe. We, we show love to others. We put the needs of others before ourselves, and we endure the suffering that is, that is normal in this life, trusting in the Lord. We're sane, we're not prone to religious extremism, and our life is going to bear consistent fruit of having a pattern of goodness to it. Back to our text in 1 Corinthians, he says that we are to quit ourselves like men. We are to be strong. To be strong. We have a false definition of what it means to be strong, to be mighty. We have promoted the idea that men are to be emotionless. They're to show no emotions. And that they are to be violent in order to be men. I saw a quote that uh, went to the effect that a, 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 a good man is a dangerous man. There's some truth to that, but it's not totally rooted in truth. Strength has nothing to do with our emotions, being controlled by our emotions, or being prone to violence. Being strong, Jesus was a man that was strong, he was all-powerful, and yet Jesus wept. Jesus was a man that was sensitive to his human emotions and to the emotions of those around him. True men are empathetic. That means they feel what others feel. They desire to feel what others feel. Not only that, a true man is able to avoid violence. 
Jesus taught that if, if a man smite thee on one cheek, turn into him also the other. Some men would say, oh, you've got to, in order to be a man, you've got to be able to, you've got to be the toughest, roughest man in the room. You've got to be the man that, that nobody wants to mess it with. If somebody gives you a, a cross look that you put them in their place and if it and that uh that you can rough them up that's not a man that's a man who is controlled by his emotions that's what that is a true man is a man that can take pain can take emotional pain physical pain and not respond with his emotions but rather respond with his mind that doesn't mean that a man is not violent. Let me be very clear. Men are not to be prone to violence as a first response. But we've also, I think, done a negative thing when we, when we have taught young boys that violence is never the answer. Jesus instructed his disciples, if you've got a coat, sell your coat and buy a sword. Why would he tell them that? Because there's coming a time when violence is the answer. <laughs> you understand? A man is not to be prone to violence as his first response, but a man should not shy away from violence. If it comes to that, he needs to be willing to take up the sword, to take up uh, the uh, to 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 go to what God created him to be, and to stand firm and to to be violent if he has to. You see. When Joshua was on the, I'll close with this. When Joshua was on the battlefield, what did he instruct his men to do? He says, be thou strong and very courageous. When Joshua took the promised land, he was, he was a man that was violent because he had to be. At that moment, in that time of his life, he had to be violent. We shouldn't be prone to violence. Being strong encompasses a great deal. It, it means being willing. Being willing to do what needs to be done in life for those around you. That's what it means. It means to endure. It means to fit yourself for the task ahead. It means to rely upon your strength. The Lord is your strength, by the way. You're not strong in and of yourself. A truly strong man is a man that realizes his own weakness. If any man, if any man thinketh that he stand, let him take heed lest he fall. A man realizes where he's weak at, and he relies on his strength, God Almighty, to lead him and guide him in that area. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, act like a man, be strong. Young ladies, these are the characteristics you need to look for in a husband. Young boys, this is who you need to be. Older men, this is who we need to strive to be. So that as we grow older, we're not letting the world's dominate, uh, definition of a man make us feel any less of a man than we are. And also so we can strive to be an example for the younger generation. Older ladies, this is who you should encourage your husbands to be. Remind them who God has called them to be.
God has called and designed men to be men. Not children, not boys or girls, because he made a distinction on purpose. He made us the leaders on purpose. God designed it perfectly. And when we fulfill our biblical roles, when society fulfills their biblical roles, we have a much better society. When men fulfill the role of men and women fulfill the role of women, society was much better. But we've, we've feminized men and we've masculinized women. <laughs> and now our society is coming apart at the seams and we wonder why. It's time we come back to authentic biblical manhood. I trust these words have been an encouragement to you. It's my belief that right now we need men more than ever. We need to be men more than ever because we're facing adversity. And as I said earlier, adversity is when men show their manly characteristics. So let's step up to the plate, men, and be the men God has called us to be. I trust the Lord will bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, give you peace. I do want to uh, do something that I have not done. The Lord burdened my heart this week. During times of uncertainty, God can often use these times to cause us to reflect our call in life. In meeting the way that we're meeting at present, it is not optimal. It's not the way we designed it. It's not the way God designed it. And my heart yearns to be back in a congregation. I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know how long we're going to be, for the safety of our congregations, have to refrain from meeting because we love one another and we don't want to make each other sick. So I don't know how long this is going to last. But the Word of God is certainly not bound. And we've, we've done the best with what we have. But I cannot continue any longer and allow the church to not give an opportunity for faith and repentance and for church membership. So here's what I'm going to do. If this situation, if the sermon's being preached, if the Lord has touched your life, and you feel that God is calling you to follow Him and to join a church, to join His church, to be a part of His bride, here's what I want you to do. I want you to comment in the section that you have that desire. And if you do, I will be in contact with you and we'll set up a time where we can assemble the church on maybe a Zoom call and we can, uh, we can give you an opportunity to express your faith uh, to the congregation through that medium. And, and we can just have a cordial, loving talk. And then we can set aside a, a, a time to uh, to baptize you into the Lord's church. Uh, the church. The Lord's church should not stop growing simply because we cannot meet. That's ridiculous. So I, I, I can no longer not give you the opportunity to join his church. It's important. Church membership is very, very important. And if you're not a, if you're not a part of the visible church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you to come to that today, to... Make your desire known, and uh, we'll go from there. I love each and every one of you. I thank you all for watching. I trust the Lord will bless you through the remainder of the day. 
The Lord will keep you safe and uh, that you'll just have a blessed time with your family. God bless you is my prayer.